0: Hello and welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ tissue and eye donation and transplantation. You can always find us at thegiftedlife.org. I'm Lori Steele.
1: I'm Joey Boudreaux.
0: And I'm Nyla Schwab. Coming up on The Gifted Life today.
1: Have you ever thought about donating a kidney but didn't know where to begin? Our guests today are going to explain exactly how to get started.
2: And I'll be talking about wondering. The word wonder, that doesn't really roll off my tongue very well, but I hope your curiosity is piqued and you'll be listening for more. I am wondering now. <laughs> All right, hold on to your hats. Here we go.
0: on the Gifted Life Podcast. We are so excited to introduce you to our two newest friends. Joining us uh, by phone is Betsy Cray and Carol Often? Hi, ladies. Hi, Hi. Liz. We so appreciate you guys. Uh, so, Joey and Nyla, these are co-authors of The Insider's Guide to Living Kidney Donation, Everything You Need to Know If You Give or Get the Greatest Gift. What a resource, huh? I'm excited to hear
2: about this.
1: I read a little bit about you guys' story and, and You guys come from a little different angles, uh, you know, one receiving a kidney and and the other donating a kidney. I'd I'd like to actually start with you, Carol, if we can. So when was the first time you heard about donation, organ donation or kidney donation specifically?
3: Oh, my. Um, Well, about two my son was diagnosed with kidney disease when he was in college um just just to give you a background we had no family history knew nothing about kidney disease um he uh he wasn't even at risk he developed it following a strep infection Mm -hmm. um yeah and it was really um a big shock needless to say and um but he was otherwise healthy and so they said we'll just monitor this and it may never reach kidney failure um and so it was just something that we took seriously but um didn't expect to need to deal with for if ever not for a long time and a couple of years after after that uh after he maybe three maybe even three four years after that um his after he had graduated from college, his kidney started failing suddenly. Uh, and in the space of, of a, um, an appointment uh, for his checkup, after we were told that his numbers had just precipitously dropped, his um, kidney function was just just off the charts. Um, that um, you know he was going to need dialysis. Uh, soon um, first he'd need a surgery for put in a fistula access but ultimately he would need a transplant and so in the space of an hour we heard all of that wow and that's a lot. That, was, that was really mm-hmm. my first uh, hint that, that this was something that was very real and as I always say and can happen to anybody uh, it's not just uh, not just people who are already starting out uh, with a lot of uh, health conditions and it's not just the elderly and it's not only people with a family history. It can happen to anybody.
2: And so that was, that was my first uh, taste of the topic. That is a whammy. I don't know how you even process all that information with your son in an hour. I mean, there's, that's a lot to be thrown at you at once.
3: Exactly. We were numb. We didn't even ask. I don't think we even asked many questions because we were just reeling. We, we couldn't process it and deal with it quickly enough to, to pose questions at that at that appointment.
1: And so, of course, you know, at this time, it's, uh, you said, early 2000s?
3: Uh, right,
1: right. You know, there wasn't a lot of information out there. Yeah. Donation, you know, kidney donation had been a pretty uh, significant thing for, at this point, 20 years or so. Uh, you know, again, basically the 80s is when when it really took off. Uh, but it still was, was pretty new, I would assume, for you, uh, to 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 try to imagine, you know, did you ever have any interactions with any like were you aware of donation? Was it something that you had thought about prior to your son developing a kidney disease?
3: Not even close. I
1: didn't think not so. even
3: close. I, I I never knew anyone who had who had done it at that point. Um, uh, my knowledge of Kidney disease and transplant um, came through Betsy, who I already knew uh, for years because our our that's another story. Our our daughters were Girl Scouts together, but at that point, I'm not sure that I knew that Betsy had kidney disease at that point. At that first point, not long after that, um, when I found out she was getting a transplant, then um, we. Uh, start talking more about it Betsy was my only um, contact with that world
0: so Betsy take us into to your world where where we are right now um, polycystic kidney disease uh, take us back to that time uh, what was going through your mind did you know about donation fill us in
4: uh, all right well let's see um so <clears throat> my um, re- uh, Time at getting into the kidney world was um, I was a doctoral student in Madison, Wisconsin, and I was having gastro problems. I went in to check on that. They did an ultrasound and, of course, turned up all these black holes. That's what it looked like to me. And then they told me I had polycystic kidney disease. I mean, I was just shocked. You know, was yeah. in my um, early 30s, you know, healthy, very active, just, you know, I just couldn't believe it. That night I called my mother and said, Oh my gosh, I have this polycystic kidney disease. And my mom said, uh, in, in, in the sort of depression-era parent style, said, oh, oh, I have that, too. That is not what's causing your problem. Have them keep looking. <laughs> and I, just, I mean, you know, my mouth was wide open. I'm going, what? You have what? And you knew you had this and you didn't tell any of us? Mm. And, um, you know, but again, that's what they did in those days. You just didn't talk about your medical issues. Um, So she said, yes, you know, my mother had it, my grandfather had it. And it was like, oh, my gosh. Um, So that's when I began this. You know, I had quite a period of, you know, good health and everything went great for quite a number of years into, again, sort of the early 2000s, like Carol and all. And it was changing doctors. My nephrologist was retiring and I got a new nephrologist, his his mentee. And right off the bat, she says, oh, you know, I think we need an MRI. And I'm thinking, why, you know, and so I went for the MRI, I came back and sort of like Carol and Paul, I got into that appointment and she said, well, you know, I have some not so very great news for you that your kidney numbers have been plummeting for quite some time, which I was shocked. My previous doctor had not told me that at all. And she said, you're going to need to be thinking about um, dialysis and transplant. And, you know, it's just like Carol and Paul was just reeling. I probably didn't ask any questions. I went back to my office and sat there for the next couple of hours, just completely shocked. And, you know, of course, began calling family members. Um, So it was, yeah, it was a pretty big shock for me. And as it turns out, um, three of the four daughters of my mother, myself, and two sisters all had polycystic kidney disease. One of my sisters um, in her thirties had, grown this mass and they had to take out her kidney. But way back then, we didn't know anything about this um, and didn't know. My mother had this polycystic kidney disease because she didn't know at the time until later. Um, so it was a trial. Wow, and yeah. um, as it turns out, all all three of us had transplants in our 50s and um, so sort of went along that process. And the best part of that is that we sort of had our own little support group of people with polycystic kidney disease and, of course, came and helped each other during each other's surgeries to, to mm. get us through.
0: A family affair.
4: Yes. My yes. goodness.
0: All right, so you received a kidney transplant in 2004. That's right. And and things, did you notice a difference? Like, was it, oh, I see what they're talking about Oh, now. it was instant yeah
4: yeah it was just instantaneous. It, it was from a colleague who I still work with, Lin- Linda Watson, one of my research colleagues, and so wonderful, you know that she stepped up right away right. Um, and the 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 really almost the day of my surgery when I came back, certainly by the next day, as people were allowed to come in and visit me, everybody to a person said, Oh my gosh, you look so much better your your cheeks are pink, you you know you have a much healthier <laughs> tone." Uh, and so clearly, um, it was a huge difference for me in, in in every other way. Wow! So that
0: was 2004. I'm going to switch back over to to Carol as we're going down this this timeline. So 2006, you stepped up and did something great for your son.
3: It was a lo- it took a long time, um, and I have to admit, I I said I wanted to be tested immediately. But I don't know that my heart was in it. Um, I mean, there was a lot of there was a lot of fear, and had someone else mm-hmm. stepped up at the time, um, I would have, I would have said go for it. Um, when we found out at that, that first time, and that was in 2004, when we found out that his kidneys were failing, um, my husband, my daughter, who was all 15 at the time, and I all immediately said we wanted to be tested. And and we all meant it. Um, My husband was eliminated um, because he'd had a kidney stone. And our daughter was eliminated for obvious reasons at 15. They said they wouldn't even consider her before 18. Um, And I was, you know, definitely, you know, ready and and willing. Um, But There was a a long process having to do with um, insurance and Medicaid and Medicare and all sorts of uh, red tape. And so he had to go on dialysis in the meantime, even though he had a willing donor. And he spent close to two years, two very, very long years for him uh, on dialysis. And... um, all during that time, I had time to kind of go up and down in my in my resolve um, in terms of, you know, can I do this? I'm, I'm, I'm a, I should mention I'm a wimp. I've <laughs> always been a wimp. Uh, anything, anything physical or medical. Um, I fainted flu shots. Um, I have a long history of this. So in that sense, I was not an obvious choice. Um, but nobody else who was willing could do it as it turned out. Um, And this was, as you point out in the early 2000s, um, while kidney donation had been around and, and even living kidney donation, hair donation was not something that was at all common. I mean, I think I'd have to check or maybe, you know, but I think at the time there maybe were, were like a handful across the whole country, you know, like a hundred or something. It was not something that, that anybody, um, you know, was aware of, so um, watching him uh, very depressed on dialysis, no energy, no spirit, no interest in anything, it was really, really heartbreaking for all of us uh, to see him going through that, so you bet by the time we got the go-ahead to start my testing, I really wanted to be the one to, to do it. I mean, as a as a mother, it was just the only natural feeling I could have. It turned out to be um, a life-changing experience for me as well as for him. Um, it was um, extra, extremely gratifying. It was easier than this wimp thought it, it would be <laughs> um and you know how often does that happen right surgery yeah. easier than they told you right.
1: <laughs>
4: well carol you, you know, got us all I, I thought maybe they didn't
0: do
1: it right you know? <laughs> am i finished <laughs>
0: you got us laughing over here carol because we um are on your site kidney donor help.com kidney donor help.com and small print that says, if Uh-oh. a wimp like me could donate a kidney, you probably can too. So <laughs> We
3: like that. We like that
0: reminder.
3: Oh, good. <laughs> well, I always thought that, that I think there's this mystique, and I, I don't want people to feel that you have to be this special um, hero to donate. Um, you just have to, to be... To be caring and to be um, healthy um, and to be in a position where you can do it. But you don't have to be a saint. I don't want people to feel, oh, I couldn't do that. You know, mm-hmm. that's a, that's that's a different kind of person. That's, you know, that's not me. Well, if if I can, trust me, anybody can consider it, you know. And, and Car- um,
1: well, Carol, you talk yeah. about being a, a wimp. And, and so, you know, and you talked about flu shot and everything. You know, a lot of I think I think a lot of us are, you know, when, when right. we're talking about a major surgery, you know, uh, a lot of people like you you mentioned, don't like to get even a shot, much less have surgery on them when it's, something's not, you know, wrong immediately with them that that needs attention. So uh, for those people out there that are listening. So how how was the surgical you said easier but, like, so how was the surgical piece and then, and then the after process? Like, you know, the, the, the following, how long did it take you to get mostly back to normal? Was that a, a long period of time or did you feel fatigued for a long time or did you kind of bounce back?
3: Um, okay, I bounced back much quicker than I expected. Um, I would say, all right, the first few days, um, and at the time I was in the hospital for um, three or four days. Now I they think they have people in and out of there in a, after a night or two. Um, it, there's pain. Of course there is once um, after surgery as it would be with any abdominal surgery. Um, but I was, you know, I was so well-treated and so comfortable, um, in terms of, 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 the nursing, um, staff. And, um, after I went home from the hospital, um, our, uh, our son, well, the surgery went well, as far as the, um, transplant. Um, he, a week after the surgery, um, he had, horrific pain and ultimately had to have um, go back into the hospital for surgery. There was internal bleeding. Um, so, so this was all of, you know, a week to 10 days later. And you know what hospitals are like. You, everything is the opposite floor, the opposite uh, hey, yeah, hall rather course. way. And, and so there was a lot of walking yeah. and I didn't even notice my husband kept saying, you know, are you okay? Cause you, should you be doing this? And I said, if I feel like I should be doing if I, if I haven't noticed, that means I'm okay to do it. Um, but yes, I needed a nap in the afternoons. Um, and, uh, I think, I think with general anesthesia, I think that's pretty common for maybe four to six weeks or something to kind of get that, that fatigue out of you. But I was taking walks. I was, we have, um, uh, our bedrooms are at home or on the upstairs. And I said, you know, am I going to be able to do stairs when I go home? Um, should I, you know, should I sleep downstairs? And they said, if you feel like you can do it, do it. And I was fine. Um, I did the stairs with no problem. I took short walks at first and then longer walks and then faster walks. Um, so I, I um, if I weren't, Double timing as, as the parent of the recipient, as I said, he was staying with us. I, w- I could have gone back to work in two weeks. <clears throat> Excuse me, I have a, sed- a sed- sedentary job as an editor. Um, uh, I worked from home at that point. So th- physically, that was not an issue. And if I may um, back up just a little bit before the surgery with the evaluation, one of the reasons that we wrote this book was to let people know what to expect. And as, like, like we said, as a wimp or as just maybe even an average person, um, I really wanted to know as much as I could. Um, and so one of the things we did with the book is to give details about all of the tests, how long they take, how invasive are they, are they are they painful? Why are they doing it? And that's that's all in there. We And I wish I had had that kind of information at oh, the time. Carol. So for the evaluation, excuse
2: me? I, well, I was going to say, I'm kind of wiggling in my seat because to hear you, it's so beautiful how you shared that, like how you, I guess, how you learned about your son's um, diagnosis and how quickly it it. It ex- you know it excelled, and the predicament y'all were in, and all that came at y'all at once, and you took something so complicated, mm-hmm. and yet you make you make it sound so simple just with your story. But then y'all are able to put it in a book to help other people understand that. So I think that it's amazing that you can take your own experience to share that with others.
3: Thank you, I, Betsy and I both felt it. There's just not there just wasn't enough out there that was personal and practical for, for both donors and recipients. Well, um, we can
2: hear it in your voice, how well you're doing, but you have to know, I have to ask, how's your son doing?
3: He's doing pretty well now. He's had ups and downs, um, but he's doing quite well. At um, he had, I went with him to his transplant team annual appointment a month or two ago and at 16 and a half years out of surgery they said he's he's got none of the the risk factors for for the kidney um starting to you know lose its its power um, and he's he's healthy he's a he's a very good um, patient he's very good with with um you know, taking taking his meds and everything, and so um, very fortunately, um, he's in a good place. Thank you for asking.
0: Uh, we like it. I'll, I I want to mention the the book title again: The Insider's Guide to Living Kidney Donation: Everything You Need to Know If You Give or Get the Greatest Gift. And and Betsy, I want to pull you back in and fast forward your story. Last we heard. You received a kidney transplant from an amazing colleague uh yay miss linda thanks for stepping up back then uh to give this this greatest gift and then in 2021 um there was another transplant so betsy kind of fill us in and and all that you learned in that time yes
4: okay so after the first transplant i did great and um you know, healed faster than I thought I would, was back at work, you know, in short order and, um, and just doing great. And for really 15 good years, almost 16 good years, things were just great. But as the 16 year mark sort of came around, um, my kidney my new kidney um, um, they had taken out both of my kidneys um, before the transplant so back in the fall of 2003 they took out both kidneys called a double nephrectomy because they both were full of cysts and they were afraid and predicted that they were just going to get worse and worse and cause me problems and so um, so they took them both out I had to wait about four months for the transplant so in March of 2004 um, we went through the transplant. So then fast forward um, 16 years or so, things are going great. And then my kidney numbers begin, you know, to look worse. And um, I begin to realize, gosh, I'm going to need another transplant. And fortunately, it just sort of surprising I'm an autism researcher and um in my network of group of autism researchers a a young colleague that we were working with at Vanderbilt just popped up she heard that I needed a kidney and she volunteered immediately so we had it all set up and um we were going for it the the um December of 2019 and um We had everything aligned. The surgery was set. We had found a place for her to stay here in the neighborhood. It's somebody's, you know, bed and breakfast kind of place. And, um, it was all set up. But right, um, before Thanksgiving, I got this terrible virus and, um, ended up in the hospital and, um, everything was going haywire my numbers were terrible my labs were terrible so they said call me and say go to the hospital right now and you need to start dialysis so when i started dialysis i blew up like a pumpkin i was huge bigger than really anybody you've seen with this huge pumpkin on my belly and um what they discovered was that my liver was leaking so of course they put the transplant on hold while they discovered what was going on with my liver ultimately to find out that they needed to um transplant a liver and a kidney for me. And at the time, UNC was not, um, the University of North Carolina was not doing, um, ha- liver and kidney transplants at the same time. And, um, so, you know, my donor, she was sorrier than I was, I could tell, but, um, I was so grateful that she had volunteered. Um, so I went on that dialysis and went on the transplant list for a kidney and a liver. Um, was about a year and a half later then so in 2021 by then um you know got the call and Um, Got a couple of false alarms, as they say, you know, they call you in and um, you're the second in line and twice that happened and it wasn't me. But then the third time was the charm and it was me and I got the liver and the kidney. Um, It's a deceased donor and I don't know who it is, someone from Ohio is all I know. I wrote a letter through the social worker to the family to say, you know, thank you so much and if there's ever time you would want to connect with me, please do. I'd be happy to talk with you and meet you and let you see, you know, the, the grace that your loved one gave me to be able to live, you know, these years later. Um, and this transplant, you know, it was a little tougher with two organs. And so there's a little more recovery. And, um, that summer I I said, I was playing whack-a-mole. It was kind of one thing after the other that Mm. I got. Um, but you know, by the fall, by October, I was back at work and, um, healthy and things are going great. So I'm ever more grateful for the second time around.
0: I love that, number one, you guys had each other and then the extension of Betsy's family. And then you guys decided, let's team up and let's help as many others as we can. So the book, which you can find, kinneydonorhelp.com you can get more information. Um, but th- the book examines the reasons for donating. It explains what to expect before after donation. Describes those specific tests um, that, that Carol mentioned, the procedures, uh, the transplant team members helping recipients deal uh, with non-medical aspects of their experience, like impact on the rest of the, the family. So, these topics that we, we kind of touch in, but maybe don't have time to delve in, you guys kind of lay it all out for everyone, like a one-stop shop, if you're thinking here's some research here so what have you heard about the book what are you most proud of I'm gonna offer the floor to, to both of you as we wrap up here um, about the book and and what you think it means
3: well I'll, I'll oh my. quickly
4: yeah yeah I'll quickly start and then Carol can pipe in Please. Um, you know we've been um, so uh, rewarded by people contacting us you know um, saying gosh you know I wish I'd had this book before or now I have this book um, we've, You know, we've. it's been wonderful. We've actually inspired a few people to think about donation and have donated. So that's been outstanding. And, you know, there are lots of pieces to the book. There's frequently asked questions. There's tons of resources. And then we have a lot of stories besides just our own. So we hope people will identify with one or more of the stories that we share in there. As well as we have some things. We have a counselor. You know, my family, I was my family always is pull yourself up by the bootstraps kind of family. And so I just muscled on through this really without any help or support other than getting food delivered to my house from my friends, for my family. And it was afterwards that I realized my kids really suffered through this and were worried and anxious. So we sought out a counselor. So there's um, information from a counselor about how to think about and talk with your family about these things. So there are many aspects of this book that I think we both wish we had when we were going through this. Carol? Absolutely.
3: Absolutely. Um, uh, everything that Betsy said about, about the, the uh, book, um, I have um, just been so, so gratified to find have people say that, that it actually did Um, make them think about something that they never would have considered before. And that's all we're really asking. I mean, I, 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 I try to say I'm making a donating kidney is a very big decision. It's not for everybody. And I'm not trying to convince people to donate. That's the last thing I want to do. I want to convince them to open their minds to the idea to be informed and to consider it. And so many people have have said to us that you know I, I hadn't really um, thought about it, and I hadn't really um, I, I was I was amazed, and this is always it makes me feel good as a, as a as a writer at um, how engaging it was that, that this did not have to be a heavy. Uh, dry topic. This was very relatable. I can see being in that position. We have chapters by, uh, uh, as Betsy mentioned, by some professionals and and also by individuals who, um, donors and recipients, uh, different family members that they've donated to um, or um, uh, different relationships. And um, as a result of doing the, um, working on the book, um, on uh, well, the research, I became a, um, an active uh, donation advocate. I in two weeks, I'm going to be going to Capitol Hill with the National Kidney Foundation and meeting in person finally, uh, with congressional staffers and maybe a couple members of Congress. Um, it's, it's been canceled, I was accepted a couple of years ago. It's been canceled twice before, so we're real excited now. But um, I just like you say that, that sharing our story and our experiences um, has been important for readers. Um, it's really important that lawmakers hear them as well. And um, the legislation that is, so, is needed so much to protect living donors, to um, increase funding for, um, for kidney uh, disease research so that we can and, and, and um, to um, improve early detection and um, to prevent the kinds of, of uh, crises that happen if kidney disease can be detected at an earlier point before it ever gets to kidney failure. Um, that's And more support for patients.
0: You guys, I was just going to say, um, you guys make a powerful duo, so if anybody can do it, I think Betsy and Carol mm-hmm. can. So we're going to have an open invitation <laughs> for you guys here on The Gifted Life as you go out and do more and link with more people and um, make life happen for others. You know, please come and, and share with us so we can learn from you. Um, if you want to connect thank with you. these ladies, you, you want you so to much. help them, yeah, along their, their journey, com is how you connect with Betsy and Carol. Thanks for the work you do, ladies, and thanks for the time today.
4: And thank, thank you, you so for so your work. having us. Thank you all.
0: Absolutely. Here on The Gifted Life, we take a moment for mental health.
1: Yeah, Lori, I wonder what Nyla's got up her sleeve today.
2: Ah, that was good, Joey. Try to say that five times.
1: Can't and backwards.
2: <laughs> so yeah, we're going to talk about wonder. Um, synonyms for the word wonder is miracle, sensation, curiosity, and caution. Those are just five that I picked out. But I think that kind of describes what the word wonder means. And um, I mean, when you think about mental health, there's actually been some studies that just talks about uh, studies around awe. Um, wonder could be awe uh, curiosity and how that can improve physical and mental health including including lowering the risk of depression heart disease and type 2 diabetes and arthritis um, there is also some research or a paper written by um, harvard business review and it this is a quote that i really liked it says at its core all has an element a vastness that makes us feel small this tends to decrease our mental chatter and worries and helps us to think about ideas issues and people outside of ourselves improving creativity and collaboration as well as in energy so you know that this is why i'm talking about it because i feel like we we talk to families and they say yes to donation mm-hmm. and i think there's a lot of wonder in that because you know That's their loved one, and they're saying yes to something they don't know the end result to. And so in this time, like we talk to families after donation occurs, and and the question is, did it help someone? So when I think about curiosity, and there's caution. I mean, this is their loved one. Mm -hmm. And so I just started thinking, what if you went through this life, our world, in wonder? Have you ever watched a child? Mm -hmm. They're so curious. Mm -hmm. And, And we... We step into our day and we can control very little, Mm -hmm. but we try to control a lot. And instead of trying to control that, if we were to look at our day and as we walk through it with someone, be curious and wonder. And that allows us to just be more creative and to to see someone else in front of us, to see something else in front of us.
1: That is such an interesting change to what as you say, we try to control. I say we tr- control the controllables. That's my thing: is control the controllables. But there's a lot of things that, that I would, you know, you try. We all try, or think we have an impact on that. May that we really don't? And it would be interesting to go through, you know, a process, go through a day, go through whatever. Just. Enjoying things as they unfold, I guess. Is that kind of what you where you're getting at?
2: Absolutely. And noticing yourself. I mean, like sometimes do you have a lightness about I mean, like you joy or something feels good, it feels right. When that happens, wonder what what just was said, what happened, or if there's heaviness. And sometimes we have to do the heaviness, mm-hmm. we have to do things we don't want to do, but feeling that and understanding what is happening because all we can really control is what we are our behavior Mm -hmm. how we respond to something so if we're more curious about the world around us and about this awe, and i love that there's a big world and we're just a small part of that and um the definition i looked it up also i love words but it says it's the cause of astonishment or admiration marvel miracle Or a feeling of doubt or uncertainty. Now, how much of that is in our life every Mm -hmm. day? Mm -hmm. But we see miracles and marvel, and our families see that too. But there is times that we aren't able to transplant. And, you know, we have to talk to families about that. So Mm -hmm. there's still that beautiful wonder of they give a gift, an act of kindness. And it's almost like it is It is. I don't know, just kind of this wish into the into the universe that it's going to land to help someone, Mm -hmm. and to me that is awe inspiring. And so many things. I just read something um,
0: just last night uh, about you know as you get older you want to remain curious you want to keep asking those questions don't um, that's a gift that you give to yourself remain curious hang around the younger folk who have uh, you know these quick brains and things like that to keep you on your your toes Mm -hmm. remain curious have that wonder Mm -hmm. all tying in together. Yeah, Yeah, I love that. All right, you have a topic you want us to cover here at The Gifted Life? Email us, info at thegiftedlife.org. In our question and answer segment today, I'm considering becoming a living donor. How do kidneys get matched if I don't know someone waiting? I love that all these people are thinking about it. Like, it's in the news, it's on social media. Like, it's a good thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the first thing, if you are interested uh, as an altruistic donor is uh, I, I think you want to study, read up on which transplant center you would in, be interested in yeah. in donating. Um, and of course, UNOS.org has all of the transplant centers. Uh, we're, we're all members, the organ recovery agencies and the transplant centers, uh, members of UNOS. Mm-hmm. And so you will find the information uh, there on the transplant centers around you. Uh, and then after that, Um, if you don't know someone, of course, they can either connect you with a a good match. You would have to do all the testing. And of course, with kidney donation, it's not just how tall or what size you are, uh, your age or your blood type. There's more factors that go into Mm -hmm. it and uh, including mainly antigens, a lot more specific factors. And they may have a perfect match there. But if they don't, now, and I know we've talked about it before in other podcasts, uh, kidney pair donation. Uh, you may be a missing link to a kidney pair donation chain where you know, it's, it's one person wanting to donate to their loved one, but they can't. And then they'll so they connect to maybe someone else at a different transplant center. That person connects to someone else. And then there's a missing link oftentimes. You may be the missing link for possibly up to 12 transplants yeah. taking place. I love that those stories. That are all stories. being held up. Oh, so.
0: I do too. That's crazy. It's neat. Well, we like that you're you're talking about it, that you're turning to the Gift of Life for information. And we're going to have some um, great
2: information for you um, in this episode and others. We love your questions. So keep them coming. If you have a question, give us a call at 504-648-3477. We all learn together.
0: In every episode of The Gifted Life, we honor a hero. Today's hero, Alex Miglior.
1: And we learn about Alex from his family. Alex was an amazing guy and never met a stranger. He enjoyed life and lived it fully every minute of the day. He had an infectious smile and gave 100% to everyone. He loved his family and friends with his whole heart and was always positive. Everyone he knew had an Alex story because he touched so many lives. Although we were devastated to lose him, we are so proud of him for saving five lives through organ donation and enhancing the lives of so many more through tissue donation. A day does not go by that we don't think of him. He will be loved and missed for the rest of our lives.
2: And now we pause to say thank you to Alex for the gift of life.
0: Episode 207 of The Gifted Life is in the books guys. Thanks so much for listening and remember you can register as an organ eye and tissue donor anytime registerme.org.
1: Special thanks to Elizabeth Cray, Betsy and Carol Often, the co-authors of Insider's Guide to Living Kidney Donation. The fact that they were able to come on, share their stories both about the donation side and the recipient side. Yeah. And then and then to see the the need that was there to educate, to provide information to the public, to help facilitate maybe many, many more living donations. So that was amazing for them to to come together and write that.
0: The best
2: place to find us, guys,
0: is at our website, thegiftedlife.org.
2: Listen there and find links to listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star rating. It really helps others find us. On social media,
0: on Facebook, the Gifted Life Podcast is where you can find us. On Twitter and Instagram, at Gifted Life Pod. Follow us there. We ask that you go out and do something you would normally do to help us make life happen. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time. This is a production of the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreau, and Nala Schwab. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Caraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez.